Hello everyone and welcome to episode 284 of the Ask the Coach show where Ping Skills helps you improve your table tennis. We've got an exciting show lined up for you today with all our regular segments and some great questions to discuss. I'm Jeff Plum and as always I'm joined by super coach Alois Rosario. Welcome Alois. Good morning Jeffrey and I hope you are well too. Yes, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm going well, and I hope our listeners are well too. Um, we've got an exciting show today, Alois. Oh, as usual, Jeffrey, as usual. Yeah, yes. always, always. And, you know, the best segment is what I always hear from the people is on this day, uh, that, which is kind of like on this week, really, now. Well, exactly, but it just gets better and better, doesn't it? I mean, last week was just a ripper. <laughs> it was so good, I can't remember what it was, but yes. Yeah, I think we almost uh, abandoned the, uh, the segment last week. It was so good. Um, but, no, we've got a couple of goodies um, today. So on this day, actually, the uh, uh, there's a couple of days here. So, um, so there's uh, – on the 11th of June was Patrick Franziska's birthday. Now, we know Patrick Franziska because we've uh, tried to emulate his serve into the shoe – um, that and he did. What a serve that was. It was, was indeed. So, yeah, great German uh, table tennis player. So he was born in 1992. Um, so how, how, how old does that make him? This is your uh, this is your numbers segment, Jeff. Well, 11, so he just turned uh, 25. 25, there you go. Happy birthday to Patrick Franziska for the 11th. And today, well, the 13th of June in Australia anyway, is... Actually, the birthdays of both Danny and Randy Seemula from the US. So, um, born on the same day, six years apart. Now, we know we know Danny Seemula, I suppose, uh, really made the Seemula grip famous. So, the Seemula grip is uh, is an awkward type of grip where you uh, hold your thumb and uh, pointer finger sort of on the sides of the bat and uh, you utilise just one side of the racket to uh, to play both backhands and forehands. But um, he was a five-time US men's singles champion um, and got up as high as number 19 in the world, in the on the world ranking. So um, fair player and using a very strange, awkward grip that not many people use nowadays, but uh, he did make that very famous. So Danny Seamiller. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And it's interesting, isn't it, getting ranked 19th in the world with the similar grip. It's surprising that that uh, didn't spark more people. I guess maybe it just has too many limitations. Yeah, it, um, in the US there were a few players that, uh, that did start to use that grip. Um, but, yeah, no, it didn't really take off. And it, uh, for me it does have a few limitations. But, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put a bit of a link on uh, to show you the similar grip as well. Excellent. All right. Well, good segment. All right. And uh, so then uh, let's just move on to the, um, well, I don't really know how popular this segment is, you know, but anyway, I like it. It's called Joke of the Week. Woohoo! <laughs> and today I want to know, well, I, I actually know the answer, but I'm going to ask you guys, why did the angry Jedi cross the road? Oh, Jeffrey, why did the angry Jedi cross the road? To get to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't if you're not laughing at that, you better just go watch the Star Wars movies. Oh. Seriously. How, how how better 
could you spend your day than watching the Star Wars movies? Exactly. I mean, I think, you know, maybe the original series, episode four, five, six, and seven, they're the one, well, seven's not the original, but four, five, six, and seven, they're the ones to watch. I'm not so sure about one, two, and three. But anyway, just my thoughts. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into some uh, table tennis stuff, Alloys. Let's move on to the tip of the week. Well, yeah, the tip of the week this week is to make sure that you're covering off on the basic strokes. Now, um, this is part of uh, a building blocks uh, tutorial that we've uh, developed. And the basic strokes are just that, the basic strokes that you need to build your game upon. Now, often players either don't get the opportunity to learn these or they skip over them too quickly. Um, I think it's really important that you spend time making sure that you can play those strokes well. So here we're talking about um, the four main strokes, the forehand and backhand counter hit and the forehand and backhand push. Now, if you can do those strokes well, it's, it's amazing how far you will be able to get with table tennis but also if you don't do those strokes well then it's there there are going to be limitations later on in your game so just not having that ability to be able to to put that ball on the table with the counter hit or the push will really limit you um you know as you as you develop your game so tip of the week this week make sure that you do the, the do all the homework on those basic strokes and get them right first. Yeah, great tip. And it is it is important to kind of, you know, go back and revisit this from time to time because sometimes people kind of learn it a little bit and then try and progress. But by getting the basic strokes perfect or by, you know, continuously working on them to get them better and better, it just improves your consistency across your whole game. And And so it really is important to get it right. Yeah, that's right. And um, you know, often often we we get questions from players saying, "Oh, you know, my side spin, top spin isn't all that good, or this and that." But you know, I always go back to, well, if you if you can't put the ball on consistently, consistently, and have good control, then trying to develop things like your forehand side spin, top spin uh, become almost impossible, and the, and your game will always break down. Yeah, excellent. All right, so this week, um, just go back and take another look at your basic strokes. Um, and, yeah, have a look at our building blocks module. You'll find that on the website under tutorials and uh, strokes and techniques, and it's the building blocks. And then the basic strokes is building block one. So, yeah, go take a look at that and just revisit your basic strokes and make sure you can do them as best you can and, and try and keep building upon those. Good one. All right, um, and so let's move on to the drill of the week. Yeah, so the drill of the week, I suppose, goes alongside our tip of the week this week, and that's to to um, just work on your consistency of your strokes. So as that first building block, make sure that you you can get that ball on the table uh, quite a few times. You know, initially, if you can get five or ten strokes on the table, then it means that you're starting to get the stroke correct. But once you get five or ten, you should be able to get 100, 200, 500 balls on the table with your with your forehand and backhand counter hitting and your, your forehand and backhand pushing. 
Um, it doesn't mean that you've got to do that for, you know, for forever, but you do need to have that ability to do that uh, well. Yeah, absolutely. And and it gives you more confidence when you know, you know, I can hit 100 forehands on in a row. So it's um, it's a good drill even just for, for building up your confidence in your stroke. Yeah, that's right. And um, we've actually had a couple of questions on confidence over the last week in the Ask the Coach um, section. And and that's always my answer, you know, that you need to you need to um, see that ball go on the table enough times to just gain that inner confidence that you can get that ball on the table. If you can only do it two or three times, then in a match situation, when the ball comes to your forehand, you're just not sure. So you just can't have the confidence in, in your ability to put that ball on the table. Whereas if you've seen that ball go on 100, 200, 500 times, then there is that inner confidence that you can put that ball on the table. Yeah, great, great point. And um, just on a side note there, um, another uh, Ping Skiller just recently mentioned how valuable they found our 52-week training program, and that's for our premium members. And the first four weeks focus on consistency. So, you know, if you're just developing your game and you want to start improving, then consider becoming a premium member and, and sign out to that 52-week training program. And the first four weeks of that focus on consistency and, you know, really build up your confidence in that area. Awesome. All right, Alois, um, let's move on to the tournament wrap. What's been happening in the world of table tennis with regards to tournaments? Yeah, so um, a slightly, slightly different angle uh, this week, and um, it's something that's very close to my heart, obviously, and that's the para tournament circuit. Um, probably something that um, not a lot of players are aware of, but in the uh, para table tennis community, there is also um, a big international circuit of events that um, that uh, that are played. Um, so we've just had the Spanish Open um, para event, and then uh, all the players are moving on to uh, Germany for the Beirut um, uh, Open. Um, so you know, in these events, there are there are up to uh, twenty two different uh, classifications in singles in um, men's and women's there are both that you know from classes one to 11 um, and the the level of play at these tournaments is is really high you know you might think oh it's para table tennis you know um, you know they'll be lucky to get some uh, some shots on the table but um, you know a lot of the uh, a lot of the top players are playing in uh, European leagues um, as well, so uh, so they're, they're a very high class of uh, player. I, I suppose the most famous uh, para player is Natalia Patika, who has been ranked in the top fifty in the world in the women's in the women's event as well. So so she is uh, she is strong. Yeah, yeah, it's very impressive, isn't it? And inspiring to see. Um, now, just on the on the tour, is it similar to the um, to the able bodied? Is the Olympics the pinnacle? Uh, yeah, the Paralympics is the pinnacle of uh, the para events. Um, certainly is, yes. Mm. And uh, you know, so Japan 2020 is uh, where where we're aiming for uh, next. So um, they also have World Championships. So uh, they just had the World Teams Championships uh, not long ago uh, in Slovakia, and uh, the World Single Event uh, Singles Event will be next year. So each year there is a major event. So either World Championships of teams, 
singles um, and or the uh, the Paralympics. Excellent. All right. Good to hear. And, um, yeah, moving on, Alloys, we had a competition last, um, last time and it was about the World Championships and picked the winners. And um, we did get uh, uh, Dean was the winner of that competition. Yes, Dean Gochev from Bulgaria was the winner, and um, he was very excited about uh, about the win, which is great to see. Um, so Dean um, ended up selecting the um, the Ping Skills Touch with the Raxa rubber, and um, and he uh, he his bat is on the way to uh, to Bulgaria. So hopefully he'll have it in his hands pretty soon and be uh, and be using his ping skills touch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think he'd been using something like Mark V for a while and was just ready for a bit of an upgrade. So that should go nicely. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And uh, he had actually got advice from us earlier about um, his first bat. Um, so he was using some Mark V on uh, on a different blade, but uh, but felt like he was ready uh, to go up to uh, to the next level. And uh, and use the Raxa. Yeah, so big congratulations to G- the Dean Gotchev. All right, Alois, it is time for the questions. Have you got your thinking cap on? I certainly have. Okay, all right. The first one is from Christian, and he says, "Thanks, guys, for the great site, and you share so much knowledge with us. It's great." He says, "I'm an intermediate player with an all-round offensive style, um, and he likes his." Call Bell with Donic Barracuda on the forehand and Donic M3 on the backhand, and he says it gives him reasonable control. But he's struggling with his playing aggressively. He goes, fast players that tend to smash or loop very fast against him, he has problems with him, he can't block their attack. So he feels like he needs to back off the table to have more control. But when he does that, he feels vulnerable and he cannot cover the sides of the table properly. So do you yeah. recommend that he stays mid-distance to the table and just practice blocking? Yeah. So actually, Christian, I suppose we need to go back a step here. Um, not not uh, physically, but um, with your game. And think a little bit about why you're always getting caught in that situation and why those aggressive players are able to uh, to play fast at you. And that comes back down to... Um, the placement of your shots and also um, what you're doing in your game. So as soon as you put the ball up a little bit higher and into a zone that the aggressive player likes, then you're going to cop a pretty strong shot. What you need to do as um, a more defensive or blocking type player is to work really hard at making it difficult for them to play that strong ball, keeping the ball lower, keeping the ball uh, to positions that are more difficult for the attacking player is where you really need to start your thinking. Um, yeah, one, yeah, yeah that on. makes a lot of sense. And and I guess if you can do that, you're going to most likely get the first attack in yourself, which is going to put them under pressure. Yeah, and even though, Christian, you might not be comfortable making an attack um, or you might not feel that that is the, the best part of your game, it's also a difficult ball for an attacking, aggressive player to deal with. So ag- aggressive players love nothing more than if you're just pushing the ball long to them or blocking to them. That's that's where they want the game to be. As soon as you can just attack, and it doesn't have to be great, just a topspin off push or a, a slow, uh, spinny topspin, that gives them a completely different ball that they have to deal with. 
and it throws their game off completely. So, so yeah, the other, the other area is to, to think about making that first attack. It doesn't have to be great, but make a first attack as well. Awesome. All right, Christian, hopefully those tips uh, help you out. Uh, good luck with that style of game. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose, sorry, just, just yep. the last point. So so he was then th- asking, you know, so, okay, if I'm in that situation, you know, do I stay mid-distance? Do I um, practice blocking or whatever? Um, it that That's really up to how quick you are, what type of ball they really have. You know, if if you're feeling like you just don't have time and they, they, they are going to play that ball too strongly, yes, you can move back a little bit. And it doesn't mean you take 10 steps away from the table. It's just one step away um, just to give yourself a fraction of a second more time uh, to read that ball. But if you can, it's more effective if you can stay close to the table because it then gives them less time as well. Yeah, so it's really a trade-off, isn't it? Yeah, by staying closer, you're going to have less time but if you can cope with that, that's going to give your opponent less time. And then if you move back, you've got more time, but then so does your opponent. So your block's going to be easier for them to, to deal with. Hmm. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Christian. Um, yeah, hopefully that helps you out. Next up is a question from DK, and he says, Hello, Pink Seals team. Recently, I started learning the high toss serve, and I found out that although my serves are spinny, they're often high and spinny or low and dead. So when I practiced further, I found that I do not know how far from the body should my bat contact the ball, where the initial bounce should be and if it's the same for all types of serves, and how to disguise my serves without actually hiding them. And he says, yeah, also because many players keep telling me they can predict what serve I'm going to use before I perform the serve, um, I want to improve in this area. So have you got some tips for DK about the high-toss serve alloys? Yeah, so um, so there's a few things with the high-toss serve. Um, initially, well, sorry, firstly, you know, how do you disguise your serve? Where should the initial bounce be? All those things are the same as for your other serves. Um, so you don't need to to change that. The, the real difference with the high-toss serve is just getting the timing right. When you're throwing that ball up high, um, and being able to time that contact. I see a lot of players that start to do the high toss serve. The action's great. They throw the ball up high, but then the crucial part, the contact of the bat on the ball isn't um, good enough. So their their contact is a little bit too flat, um, and they're not brushing the ball on contact, so they're not generating the amount of spin that they um they can so for me that's the first thing make sure that you're getting that contact correct um how far how far from your body it should be fairly close to your body same as uh, for your other serves with your with your pendulum serve for example you want to hit that ball a little bit closer to your body because you can generate uh, more spin by just utilizing your wrist and not your whole arm out out wide so um so most things are pretty similar but the, the, the crucial part with a high-toss serve is just getting that timing right and getting the contact right when you're throwing the ball up high. Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit more difficult than a lower-toss serve just because the ball seems well, comes down faster. And then I often see that people might try and swing just a little bit slower just to make sure they contact the ball. I mean, what's the best way to practice this? Is it just get out there and grab 20 balls and just serve it over and over? Uh, definitely. So first, firstly, firstly, though, you've got to get that toss right. So make sure you're getting the toss correct by throwing it up 
nice and straight. Um, and then just practice that, uh, the contact, um, getting that, um, the, the correct contact on the, on the, on the, um, on the ball as it falls, um, a little bit uh, faster onto your racket. Yeah. You don't really, you don't really need a big swing, uh, because you're, going to rely a lot on the speed of the ball coming down faster and hitting your bat. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, And, yeah, sometimes if I haven't practiced this for a while, I often kind of throw the ball up, and the first time I try and do it, I hit the ball, like, straight into the net on the full. Again, I guess that's just a matter of practice and getting the timing right. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Good one. All right, DK. So hopefully those tips help you out. Um, Yeah, once you've... Once you've, if you've got the pendulum serve working and you want to just do a high toss serve, then it's just a matter of getting the toss right. Um, yeah, the bounce and disguising the serves all the same as your normal pendulum serve. And then uh, just practice that contact. Um, good luck, DK. Good to see you using the high toss serve. I think it's a really effective serve. And I think people should probably try it a bit more often. I don't think it's used as much as it could be. Mm, good one, Absolutely. DK. All right. Uh, next question is from Ryan, and he says, I play in my basement, and my rubbers become really dirty after about 15 minutes. I clean my rubbers probably three to five times a day, just with water and a sponge. And he wants to know, will this shorten the life of the rubbers? And if so, how often should I replace them? Um, so firstly, Ryan, you, you need to clean the rubbers. So if um, if they are getting dusty and dirty, then... Uh, you'll do more damage by leaving the dirt on there and playing with it because that, uh, as you're hitting the ball, that dirt will be gr- grinding in uh, to the rubber and it's, it's almost like an abrasive um, when, when it's on the rubber there. So, um, so you need to keep wiping uh, your back with, uh, with a damp cloth. Now, if you're doing it with a nice soft cloth, um, you're not going to um, cause too many problems and you know as long as you're not using sandpaper or something um to to wipe over it um it, yeah, you probably won't, not you a won't, good idea no you won't you won't cause too many problems i mean of course if you're just constantly wiping 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 it has to have some effect but as i said as long as you're using a softer cloth um and enough water um then it won't be abrasive on your rubber um, and definitely not as abrasive as leaving the dirt on there so so you do need to do it yeah excellent all right that sounds good and how often should uh, ryan be replacing his uh, rubbers on his bat yeah so so you need to keep um or keep monitoring um the grip on your rubber um as a guide you know we often say that it's about 100 hours of playing time um yeah, obviously that changes a lot with the quality of rubber and the type of game that you play, but that's that's a reasonable guide. Uh, probably a, a simple test that you can do is to just rub your finger across the rubber, and if it still feels like it's grippy, then it's then it should have some grip. So that's what the ball is going to feel when it hits the the bat. If though you rub your finger across the rubber and it's and it's almost slippery, then it's definitely time to change your rubber okay good test good test yep and yeah and like you said that guide is it's a reasonable guide but the test is probably yeah a good way to do it and so yeah using that guide if you play two hours a week and then the rubbers will probably last you around a year if you play four hours then like half a year um yeah so um just a guide but yeah do that test that alice talked about all right ryan good to see you playing down there in the basement and uh 
Hopefully that helps you out. All right, next up is a question from Zoeir, who says, Assume that the opponent uses the same hand as me, and I try to hit the ball with a top spin, then it always lands across the table to the opponent's forehand, so he can loop it back with a stronger strike. And he says, no matter how I try to angle the racket, the ball always seems to go across court. And he goes, how do you, how do you loop the ball to the opponent's backhand, which would be hard of him to counter? So uh, have you got any tips for Zohair? Yeah, so 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 here's we, we, what we're talking about here is playing down the line. That's just a terminology we utilize um, use for um, for when you you know playing that ball from your forehand to their backhand if you're both right-handers. Um, so there's a couple of things that you can do to get that ball down the line. The first one is just hitting the ball a slightly later. If you hit the ball slightly later, then you're racket angle is basically face, facing towards uh, their backhand side when you make contact. Um, so I guess that makes sense because you kind of twist your waist, so you're going in a bit of a circle motion. So, yeah, if you're hitting it later, the angle's more, as we say, down the line. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, and the other thing that you can use is to just change the angle of your wrist. Now, s- some people do find this difficult to do, um, so what you need to do is it's almost like you're opening a gate with your wrist and turning that uh, and opening that gate backwards or turning your wrist backwards. Um, so again, that will give you the angle of the bat facing down the line to the backhand corner uh, when you make contact. A lot of players, as I said, find that difficult mainly because they try or they're, they're holding the racket too tightly. So if you've got a tight grip, so t- try tightening your grip and then turning your your hand back. Um, you'll find it really difficult. Whereas if you completely loosen your grip, really focus on your fingers um, and wrist being as relaxed as you can, then it's going to make that turning of the wrist much easier. And it'll make the changing of the angle much easier. And it also becomes much more deceptive. So, so then... Um, you can change the angle of your wrist at the very last second and change the placement of where you want to hit the ball or where you're going to hit the ball. Yeah, I just did a little test as you are talking about that, Alice. I just gripped my, uh, turned my hand into a fist and really tightly clenched it and then tried to move my wrist back and it felt a little difficult and then I just relaxed my hand completely and then moved my wrist back and forward and it just moves much, much more freely. Absolutely, yes. I, funnily enough, I was doing it myself as I was talking about it too. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right, Zoe here. So um, try those tips out. Um, we've actually got a video on this uh, exact topic, so I'll put a link in the show notes. So just go to the website and go to the podcast section. It's under the blogs link. And uh, under this episode, we'll have a link to that video. So, um, yeah, have a look at that, and hopefully it helps you out. Yes, um, great question. Well, Alois, that uh, wraps up today's show. I told you it was going to be an exciting one. Absolutely. Yeah, you were right again, Jeffrey. <laughs> Indeed. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, thanks for all your questions. Make sure you jump onto the website, pingskills.com, and, yeah, just take a look around. And if you've got a question, you can always ask it there using the Ask the Coach section. And if it's a really good one, we'll, uh, we'll feature it in one of these shows. So thanks, everyone. Uh, happy table tennis, and thank you, Alloys. 
Thanks, Jeffrey. And uh, yes, good table tennis for this week for, for all our ping schoolers out there. Bye, everyone.